You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses on a spooky Halloween episode. Ooh, my name is changes real. <laughs> my name is M- Mitch Ghoul Alexander. We didn't pre-plan this. <laughs> I- I'm Tom McLean. Damn it. ghost. <laughs> I'm I'm Tom Lang, but but a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Come on, Evie, you gotta, you gotta do something good. We gotta bring this home. I'm evil Evie. No, oh, yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> and we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact checking and sucking our blood through our uh, ears. We've, when we've not committed to this bit. <laughs> nah, this sucks well. ass. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, shit. Let's, let's just not. Isaac, <laughs> where were you saying no? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Oh, all right, let's restart. Let's do it. Let's do <laughs> another yeah, let's clap do and restart. restart. You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and keeping his thumb firmly pressed against the kill switch. We have a fucking massive episode again this week. Um, there's just, it seemed like- <laughs> Every week. But this week seemed like so many more tiny little shit things happened. Some weeks there's just like, oh, there's like three huge stories. And this one was just like, oh, there's some really big stories over here. And then you're doing what? And that's happening over there. And why did that happen there? And oh, fuck, WA's doing that. It was just, it was a lot to take in every day, I feel. Mm. I don't know. Like at the end of last week, we had to concede that like there's at least 50 stories that we can't cover every single week but this week there was definitely like about a hundred we have so many notes underneath the cut there's, there's so much stuff we're not going to be talking about this episode it's going to be amazing <laughs> yeah. bonus episode should just be us with like sad trombone music just reading off the stories we never get to each week <laughs> i think that's just us like reading the newspaper <laughs> yeah we never make it to page 12 <laughs> But what are we talking about this week? All right. Uh, uh, how am I starting this one? Do you remember last year how a really spooky thing happened about this time, but it wasn't <laughs> Halloween, it was Australia <laughs> catching on fire and staying that way for four months? Actually, that's that's the reason we started this podcast, or, or kind of one of the reasons we started this in the... Was it in the wake of the huge fire season? Or kind of during it, wasn't it? It was during. Yeah, it, it was, was still during. happening. For sure. It was still Something we were a regular segment that was like yeah, that's right. Firewatch at the start. Australia's still on fire. That was our thing for a while. And it yeah. will be again. Um, and so we did this because the government was fucking up our response to climate change and fires really badly and everything was on fire. And we're heading back into a fire season. But we've just had the Royal Commission into Natural Disasters in Australia drop. And this thing is this 600-page behemoth. Behemoth? Behemoth. Behemoth. Leviathan. It was a large animal. Um, <laughs> it was a levithian. <laughs> yeah. And it's dropped and it's... Look, if you've got time, I recommend giving it a read. Uh, even just the overview is pretty good. <laughs> but basically, it, it it's like, hey, Australia's got a lot of disasters and it's going to have more disasters because of climate change. Fucking get your shit together. We can't keep winging this. That's the the general vibe of the report. And I'm on board with that. And, you know, for a bit of context, just in the 2020 fires, or the Morrison fires, as some people, not us, call them. Um, I call them that. 
they reckon, you know, 33 people died from the, like, specific kind of fire stuff, plus hundreds more from smoke in cities. Thousands went to hospital. Thousands of homes were destroyed. We reckon it cost the country more than $10 billion in financial impact. And that's just the stuff that, like, we actively spend, not the stuff where it's like, oh, it turns out that forest might have been useful to, you know, preventing climate change or whatever. Um, but this report's like, that's just a taster. And a lot of places in Australia had fires and floods and hail and storms at the same time. And we can't keep winging that. Yeah, one of the things I um, I was thinking about it uh, when the report dropped, one of the recommendations was to have like a national strategy for firefighting equipment. And yeah. this is something like we've talked about on the podcast and it's been talked about for many years. And the, I, I bring this up specifically because – this was a recommendation in the Victorian Bushfires Royal Commission uh, that we have like a national strategy that works with the states to have uh, firefighting equipment and to purchase firefighting equipment. What Australia currently does is that we lease out equipment from the states and other countries every fire season. But this year specifically, not only was extra funding denied by the Morrison government, but also when we tried to get the equipment across during the fires, it was all stopped because of various natural disasters in the regions yeah. where we're trying to get equipment from. Yeah. Turns out Australia's not the only country having natural disasters at the moment. Um, and yeah, and so that was a really big part of the report. It's like currently we have this ad hoc thing where every state runs their own little emergency services department and is, has their own system of fire warnings and, and, and system of like, if, if you move to another state, you have to relearn the hazard codes and stuff because they mean different things. And, Obviously, states understand their own needs. A, a disaster in the Northern Territory has to be responded to differently than a disaster in Queensland or Victoria because we have different environments and different disasters. And so states should still be primarily managing their own emergencies, but we need coordination at a, nat at a national level and we need some kind of national body to help that coordination happen and some kind of standing aerial firefighting force that can be deployed and all this stuff all sorts of basically i like to imagine it as as the thunderbirds australia needs thunderbirds Firebirds. <laughs> made it like halfway through this just expressing this idea in our little podcast and already scott morrison's hand-picked four gas executives to lead the thunderbirds yeah basically. <laughs> um and circo is running the thunderbirds yeah <laughs> oh god well oh. one of the one of the recommendations i did the uh, prick my interest was our workplace protections for volunteer firefighters yeah. which you know could be like maybe it's paying them properly and maybe it's supporting them financially really well and you know it's mainly just like circo are going to run their call centers <laughs> like that's what they're going to implement the workplace protection because this is all yeah. shit that got fucked up really badly during the last fires we had volunteers being like oh i can't get centrelink now because i've had to take time off my work or oh, I'm, i i can't go and fight these fires in, near my hometown because I'll lose my job or all sorts of shit. Yeah, we had states going, I need help from the government or the defense force and the, and nobody knowing quite how to work that. We have all these people with like serious, like they, they still haven't got their homes back. They're still suffering from like trauma and there's no systems in place to probably help that out. So all this stuff is things that we should have had in place 20 years ago. We've had since the year 2000, over 200 separate inquiries and reviews into natural disasters That's in insane. Australia. 
Over 200. That's in that's, 20 years. That's 10 a year. That's 10 a year. Yeah. That's Most of nearly them one a month. Yeah. That's <laughs> fucking hell. And there's been reviews that have got all the uh, all the recommendations from these reviews and reviewed those. And all the recommendations fall into, like, some common themes. And the most common one uh, is what I call government get your shit together. Which is like, <laughs> which is like, we have these laws and regulations. We just need them to be reviewed and implemented. Like, like, actually follow up the things that are on the books. Oh, so this is like the Royal Commission comes out and it's like, look, we've got all these big recommendations, but we've got one recommendation, which is do the things that we recommend. <laughs> it's not even that. It's like currently we have laws and plans about firefighting, but they often kind of don't get effectively done. Or they might maybe don't get enforced or things. This is a larger problem with Royal Commissions as a whole. Like I know you mentioned Mm. that we've got, you know, 200 inquiries into natural disasters since 2000. But Mm. this, like, I'm getting so tired of like whenever you see someone asking for a Royal Commission to X thing that's happened – yeah, they, it's still not enforceable. Kevin Rudd. Yes, thank you, Kevin yeah. Rudd. Um, All the Royal Commission is, is, hey, can we yeah. get some experts to say what they reckon about this? Yeah, and the experts will tell you and they'll say, yes, you should still do this. Government, get your shit together. And then the government doesn't get their shit together and then the disaster happens again. Yeah, back up your promises. Make a Royal Commission with legislative ability. Just say, look, we got these Royal Commission and they're going to come away, not with a list of recommendations, but just a list of new laws and bodies and stuff that are just done. There's a lot of really good, like, this report was written by people who know their shit, um, with help by other people who know their shit, like ex-fire marshals, climate policy experts, stuff like that. But there's some great lines in it, and this is one of my favourites, because it talks about natural disasters, and the title of the report is Natural Disasters. But it says, right near the start, the expression natural disaster is something of a misnomer, because some naturally occurring hazards may only turn into a disaster because of what humans do and fail to do. The expression natural disaster, while common and used in this report, should not be taken to suggest that there is nothing we can do. What and a great the line. whole report, yeah, the whole mm. report is very clear. This is because of climate change. This is what happens when you have Scott Morrison as your prime minister for a couple of years and you're just like, all right, don't you try and weasel out of this motherfucker. I know what you're going to say and let it be clear up front that you have to ignore this bit as well if you want to ignore the recommendations of the Royal Commission. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's 600 pages. I guarantee you barely anybody in the government read this thing. Maybe some of them read the overview. Probably they got the memo and went, is it telling us to fucking do stuff about emergencies and emissions. Uh. Act to prevent natural disaster. This is ideology. We're we're not doing this. We're a liberal government. (laughs) Just make an announcement. Tell them you'll put some money towards fire planes or whatever. Just throwing out the whole commission, this left-wing rag. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Royal commissions are the new left-wing rag for the government. (laughs) <laughs> it's true, because they're full of scientists and bloody greenies yeah. and just like Just people. like the ABC and The Guardian. They're always getting experts on to give their quote-unquote opinions. Ah. Just <laughs> going up to people at a rally and trying to sell them the 600-page Royal Commission for $2. <laughs> <laughs> this Royal Commission and the other ones like it, they, they don't actually recommend anything that the government should be ideologically opposed to. It's not about reducing emissions. It says emissions are bad and emissions are the problem, but it's not a Royal Commission into emissions. Um, It's a Royal Commission to how you respond to disasters. And the government should be all about that because that's like 
fixing something after it's broken. I can see them definitely using part of this recommendation or part of the Royal Commission rather to say that like to get these recommendations through like buying our own fleet of water bombers and to pay volunteers and support them financially we're gonna need to get out of this COVID recession and the best way to get out of the COVID recession is more gas projects. Right. It just all makes sense. It's synergy. It's synergy lang. And and this is the other thing is we've got all these unemployed people. We've got an economy we want to stimulate. We've got this call to set up some like national disaster response bodies that's almost like a green new deal kind of thing we need lots of working people out there being able to you know do fire plans or fly water planes or forecast earthquakes <laughs> or whatever. i'm gonna say i'm gonna say we can't really just rely on serena russo to grab us some like airplane pilots to fly water bombs over bushfires i don't think it's yeah, that so easy but your up. point is made yeah serena russo is just posting a t- t- video on twitter just like um water planes i think that's called a boat <laughs> <laughs> And she just dances for three minutes awkwardly in front of her staff. Uh, I'm a little petty king. <laughs> in a Chanel jacket. Dancing in front of three minutes. Nobody who's unemployed should live. That's a little song. <laughs> but, but quite seriously, part of a Green New Deal is having green jobs. <laughs> but seriously, folks. Green which- <laughs> hey, I'm trying to make a serious point here. Yeah. <laughs> we joke here. We joke here on the pod, but hey... <laughs> We make Sorry. serious points about Serena Russo wearing a Chanel jacket while prompting Green New Deal jobs. No, wait. Serena Russo is going to listen to this episode of the podcast and is going to be like, hold on a second. They're just proposing sending all the unemployed people into the ground zero of a natural disaster. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, fucking Christ. Serena Russo, if you're listening, we did not suggest this. Serena Russo, if you're listening, what you have actually done is worse. <laughs> let, let Evie make her point. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Okay, so six more jokes about Serena. (laughs) (laughs) So a a part of a Green New Deal is um, we talk about green jobs, but green jobs also entails creating an environment that caters for mitigating climate change, preventing Mm. climate change, and that includes bush management, fire plans, strategies, constructing a workable plan for when disaster strikes, including having a paid firefighting force. Yeah. Like, because this thing is recommending, like, uh, a disaster resilience and recovery body with a standing capacity to respond to things. Because there's always a flood or a fire or something happening in Australia. Um, And if there's not, there's preparations to be made for the next one. Also, if we had a paid firefighting force, we wouldn't have Tony Abbott rolling out every five seconds in his firefighting gear to go and say, hey, look at me, I'm doing a great job again. (laughs) Yeah, we rely so much on volunteers and stuff. And an an interesting thing that I noticed while I was doing this reading is in some of the reviews that have collected the recommendations from other reviews. So they've, they've ranked the common recommendations. And number one is government, get your shit together, figure out your laws and plans and stuff. And then there's other, you know, big obvious ones like, We need better communication with communities, better warning systems, more funding for emergency bodies, stuff like that. But then the ones right at the bottom, the least common recommendations are individual responsibility, business and industry, you know, actions and OH&S and stuff, uh, police and offences and crimes and stuff, Um, which is really interesting because natural disasters and the way we respond to them are community-wide, statewide, big systemic things. They don't they shouldn't be relying on individuals. They're not caused by individuals. Um, they can't be fixed by policing because they're not a criminal kind of thing. It's all this high-level 
government emergency stuff. But that's not the message that we often receive from the media or the government. It's all like... Well, yeah, we had the whole arsonists thing exactly. last time when mm-hmm. there was the yeah. fish eyes. It's all deploy the cops, deploy the military. And it's the same with COVID. Everyone needs to do the right thing, stay safe, protect yourselves. No, we need government bodies protecting us. I can't fight a bushfire. I mean, you could, Lang, but... Yeah, not with that attitude, mate. <laughs> fight it with positivity. Actions this week. Fight a bushfire by yeah, Go punch a bushfire. <laughs> Don't let that bushfire push you around. So, how did, the re- how did the government respond to the Royal Commission? Well, here's the thing. Everyone thinks the Royal Commission is good. Like, it makes very sensible decisions that you basically can't disagree with. It's all obvious stuff that we should have done already. And so the government is kind of forced to be like, yeah, it's all very good. David Littleproud, who's the Federal Emergency Management Minister, who will be actually foreshadowing, uh, talking about a little bit later, um, said the government is committed to responding to and actioning many of the recommendations as soon as possible, which basically means nothing. That really means nothing, hey? Yeah. (laughs) Committed to responding to. Yeah, this is all stuff that we need in place, like... This year or happening ASAP. These emergencies are getting worse. And the and the, the Royal Commission was like, this needs to happen yesterday. And he's like, oh, we're going to action many of them as soon as we can. Oh, we're going to respond to and action many of them as soon as we can. Noting that, as we know from many, many other Royal Commissions, responding to recommendations from a Royal Commission involves going... No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, a response to a recommendation can be, oh, really? And that's mm. it. That's a response. That's interesting. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but we're literally in like November of hmm. 2020 leading into, well, I mean, the bushfire season has already started. We're in El Nino. So it's probably, look, I, I'm not looking into my crystal ball here, but it probably won't be as bad as last year, just purely on the basis of uh, weather patterns. Climate but, change is actually not real. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but yeah. we're starting into a bushfire season and the response is, I guess we'll look at them maybe next year. Stay tuned for Scott Morrison's shocked Pikachu face when there's another bushfire season. <laughs> oh, we can't have prepared for this. We were busy with COVID. We were working so hard on our federal ICAC. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll pause the federal ICAC to respond to the bushfires. <laughs> In a little bit of climate response, ANZ, Big Bank, has brought out, like, a climate <laughs> plan. ANZ, you've heard about these guys. Yeah. Um, they've, they're, they're not the ones that did all the, the pedophilia child trafficking stuff, um, but they're still bad. <laughs> and by that we mean they're not the ones that did all of the pedophilia yeah, I'm sure they. I'm sure they have a bit on their books. They're a big bank. They've brought out their new climate policy, and it's, it's hilariously weak. It's about the... They've, they've said, we will no longer support... New projects with loans and stuff, which make more than 10% of their revenue from thermal coal. Okay. So, that's a specific kind of coal. And they're unable to name any companies this could even remotely apply to because <laughs> they already loan to most of them already. Um, and there's no new right, ones they're out not there. Starting like, new projects. No one's like, oh, I'm thinking about getting into thermal coal. I hear it's going places. No, it's fucked. Everyone's getting out of it as quickly as possible. Um, their current customers, with with more than 50% investment in thermal coal, they're going to help them support diversification strategies. And within the next 10 years, they're looking at getting out of thermal coal altogether. Now, that's so weak. 
That's just that's thermal coal is just the stuff you use for power stations. They're, they're still all about other kinds of coal and fossil fuels and gas and oil. That's great. They've in in the last like four years, they've loaned over ten billion dollars to fossil fuel companies. But they've said we're looking at slowly moving away from thermal coal, and we'll also engage with our 100 biggest emitting companies to ensure they have sufficient zero emission <laughs> transition plans. Now, this is, apart from NAB, which is now the bank with the the weakest and slowest climate plan, this is the second weakest and slowest climate plan. This is literally the least you can do. What's worse, though, weak or just like, you know, appearing to pander to something like thermal oh, yeah. coal? I mean, it's definitely both. Which is so much this worse. Is- that's yeah. the thing. What I was going to say is that the ANZ are the biggest investor of the big Australian banks in fossil fuel projects. Yeah. They are the worst by a considerable margin. ANZ are fucking really, really bad at climate change yeah. stuff. So, them saying this is sort of like, oh, a big bank is taking a step towards not working with fossil fuels, but it is also just bringing them in line with the other four, the other three banks yeah. who are also really bad still. It's, it's very weak. It's still well behind, like- any kind of zero by 2030 Paris Agreement stuff. It's much less than they should be doing. Yeah. And so all all of that is to sort of foreshadow just how disproportionate the government's response to ANZ's very weak stance was because this came out from ANZ and the Liberal National Coalition absolutely lost their fucking mind. They flipped out. They could not handle it. They have proved yet again that the government is like just packed exclusively with big whingy babies at any just throwing <laughs> tantrums left, right, and center. Um, David Littleproud, who turns out is uh this week's ghoul of the week. He's the <laughs> this is for our spooky Halloween episode. <laughs> yep. Um he's the he's the as as we said, he's the um Minister for Agriculture, Drought and Emergency Management. He's also the National Party deputy leader, and he came out and said that it was destroyed disgraceful for ANZ to be doing this. Keep in mind, they're not doing anything. He said it was disgraceful for ANZ to do this and that we don't want banks to become society's moral compass. He said banks are not and should not try to become society's moral compass and arbiter. The Australian people decide that by who they elect. We can't let unelected profit-driven financiers from Pitt Street dictate to society how to produce food and fibre or how we run our economy. Now, I'm fucking sorry, but I don't think David Littleproud has become a communist overnight. I don't think (laughs) you're going to have David Littleproud on the fucking show anytime soon. This rank hypocrisy and absolutely brazen, bald-faced adherence to ideology is just rending my mind apart because he's either a gormless fuckwit or he is one of the stupidest people that has ever ever graced our our consciousness. None of that makes sense. Nah. It's just gormlessness. None of these people are stupid. His job is to funnel money to the fossil fuel industries and he's amazing at it. There's that's yeah. that, exactly. He's a, yeah, he's a gormless fuckwit. I don't think that's gormless. I don't want to get into a definition argument, but he's he's full of gorm. He's really effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, McLean, it's like when you're talking about Scott Morrison being bad at his job. Actually, no, he's good at his job because he's good at he, his job. he does yeah. exactly what he's meant to do. So in this case, it's Little Proud's responsibility to say, oh, this is just virtue signaling and banks shouldn't be involved in that. Like he he's doing that specifically because it's 
his message that he believes in that is being that he feels is being shunned. Like the same thing happens whenever there's any sort of um, commercial involvement in human rights. So like, you know, whenever a bank puts up a GATM, all the same people, you know, kick up a fuss about it. But when, mm. when banks get involved in political decisions that benefit themselves, like, you know, donating money to Liberal Party members or what have you. Yeah, to, funding yeah. Adani. Yeah, apparently that doesn't seem to, you know, make them blink an eyelid, but this does. So, it's very deliberate. This is why it was so crazy, just to see all of the talking points, mainly coming out of the Nationals. Some of the some Liberal Party had some mealy mouth, nothing shit to say, but the National Party went hard because of like mo- most of their constituents are going to be hit by this before anyone else. And by hit by this, I mean the economy, not climate change, which is going to kill us all if we don't do anything. And and but, let's be honest, this is going to have zero impact on anybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's 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 a, it's a concession to like yeah the green dollar. But, but this is this is the thing. Evie mentioned how um, they, they called it virtue signaling. The national national party leader, Michael McCormick, said what ANZ was doing was virtue signaling. And he was worried about activist shareholders inside ANZ. He doesn't want ANZ to bow to activist shareholders. Firstly, this isn't virtue signaling. This is market signaling. Free market, mm. bro. This is nothing to do with virtues. Yeah, this is this is the a- ANZ finally looking at the global economy, which is all moving away from coal and being like, oh, we can't do that. Otherwise, we'll lose all of our fucking money and our shareholders will leave. This is a bank updating its policies. Yeah. Hold, and on, then- hold on a second, though. It It is kind of virtue signaling, though, because- <laughs> Like we said, ANZ couldn't point out a single company that it could even possibly apply to. Like, this is the definition of virtue signaling of being like, oh, this is a thing that we feel strongly about. Are you going to do anything about it? Absolutely but that, not. But that, that, like, that's that, what I'm that's- saying. But they are a company and they're talking about the market. This is literally market signaling. They are telling their, sh- they are saying their shareholders want this. And so for everyone else who's looking to invest, this is what we're doing. And this is what you want banks to do. The idea, fucking Little Proud said that uh, he doesn't want, but he said banks should not interfere in markets. Which is insane because they're banks. They lend out money for the market. And also if he's like, oh, we don't want banks bossing around little Aussie farmers. Hang on, isn't that like the whole history of banks in Australia is that is bossing around little Aussie farmers and and lending money and taking money back and fucking about with insurance rates and things. Like David Littleproud was a banker is I don't know if he's still a banker. <laughs> he was a banker for like 20 years. And back in his day, they weren't bloody virtue signaling leftist bankers like we've got now. <laughs> I just realized he's virtue signaling about farmers. Like he's got like, "Oh no, the poor farmers, the poor <laughs> little tiny farmers." Well, that's that's one that I wanted to pick up is Michael McCormick, deputy uh, prime minister, said that uh, this move would hurt farmers, right? Which is an absolute lie. But it's also Michael McCormack is 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 notoriously the one who, when pressed, <laughs> couldn't name a single time that his party had yeah. like uh, helped farmers, sided with farmers over coal miners. This is, is an interview that he did with Waleed Ali on the project last year. So it's just like crocodile tears with the idea that it'll hurt farmers. He's not a farmers party guy. He's a coal miners party guy. It'll hurt coal miners. Well, here's I the mean- thing. Also, if you're one of ANZ's top 100 emitting customers. I don't think we need to be worrying about you as a little farming type. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the top 100 emitting customers of one of the most f- emitting lending banks in Australia. Like, you're fine. 
Yeah, I don't think any farmers are doing um, getting ten percent of their revenue from thermal coal or whatever. Like, uh, I'm not really sure where they play into this particular argument. I also really love this quote from the Minister for Resources, uh, Keith Pitt, who says, "Right now, the priority of banks should be winning back the trust of all Australians following the revelations of the Banking Royal Commission, <laughs> not playing eco warrior." Oh my God, there's so many things. Are <laughs> oh, the revelations of the Banking Royal Commission they should be fo- not the revelations of the of the Natural Disasters Royal Commission? No, 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 no. They should not be following the revelations of the of the Natural Disasters Royal Commission, <laughs> Banking Royal Commission only. But also, the the interesting thing about this is that like they should be bank- should be winning back the trust of Australians. Australians who over 70% of the population want action on climate change. I'm going to say that a really good way for banks to regain the trust of Australians is to act on climate change. I reckon that's the entire reason ANZ did this. I think it might be. Um, is to go, oh, we're not totally ass backwards on climate change. Maybe you should stop moving your money out of us into banks that actually don't fund fossil fuels. Yeah, it's very obviously like a glossy um, yeah. PR move to say, hey, look, we're green now. But That's you know. the virtue signalling part of it. The, the facts and figures... Talking about the market, but, th- but this is the thing. It's 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 crazy because we now have a situation where fossil fuels are not profitable. The yeah. industries yeah. are collapsing. It makes no financial sense for any financial institution to stay with fossil fuels. And yet, as soon as something like a fucking bank says we're going to make prudent financial decisions for our shareholders, the ideologues in the Liberal Party and the National Party go, "Oh fuck, we can't have that. This is virtue signalling, and this is aberrant, immoral behaviour." Nationalise it. <laughs> We can't have the banks being our moral compass, which, incidentally enough, I, I hate this. This makes me feel sick. I agree with David Littleproud. We shouldn't have the banks being our moral fucking compass. They are just following the market at this point. Right. But at this point, the bank is being a better moral compass than our elected representatives. <laughs> it's also like these are the same people that if you were a little bakery that said, oh, I don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding. They'd be like, yeah, you're allowed to do business however you want. Yeah. I will fight someone in the street for your ability to not do business with people. But here they're like, oh, you can't just be bloody not doing business just because you don't want to. They're going so far. This is David Littleproud said. <laughs> Bakeries shouldn't be society's moral compass. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> Can't let unelected bakers deciding our... I don't want activist bakers making cakes willy-nilly. <laughs> he said, He said the Nationals will review every policy lever at the federal government's disposal, including the ability, the, the availability of deposit guarantees to protect Australian farmers from these sorts of arbitrary boardroom ideological agendas. That's Hang hot. on, that's extreme. That's I don't a, actually yeah. know anything about banking. I don't know what a deposit guarantee is. But I would imagine that every policy lever at the federal government's disposal is like, that's some pretty hardcore shit. And where were these policy levers after the Banking Royal Commission came out? (laughs) (laughs) Why wasn't he reviewing them all then to be like, oh, what? All of the banks are massively corrupt? I imagine he... Imagine that wasn't his issue. The Royal Commission comes out and you're just a smash cut to the levers in a darkened room, all dusty <laughs> with cobwebs and whatnot. And then ANZ says, we're going to sort of transition sort of away from coal. And the door gets kicked open and Little Proud comes in, and blows all the dust away from these levers. And it's like, we're going to threaten deposit guarantees. Pushes the button that says nationalise it. This is one thing I did want to hit. The deposit guarantees thing is 
really fucking scary and it's really massive that they decided to bring that up and threaten the banks with it. So, essentially, in Australia, most institutions that you can bank with have a uh, guarantee of up to $250,000. It's vastly more complicated, as you can imagine, but essentially, the government underwrites your money and they say, mm. if worst case scenario happens to your bank, we can make sure oh, okay. your money is secure. Well, and what nice. they are saying- is that if banks decide to get out of coal or into fossil fuels and they think it's some sort of activism, if they think it's ideologically driven, they will take away that guarantee, which is fucking scary for people who do not have that much money, for people that are leveraging their mortgage to pay for their medicine, for people who are living paycheck to paycheck from, say, the 60s, who now have all their money tied up into the banks. That is not only threatening the banks, but that is threatening people and their 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 their, their entirety of their wealth by yeah, saying we are so not going to guarantee. It is really fucking scary because ANZ and the big four banks can probably weather that. That's not that bad for them. But it's all the tiny little banks and credit unions that we have been telling you for months to change over to who are very committed loudly and publicly to not investing in coal and investing in renewables. If this takes off, if the Liberals can come through with that threat to the big four, why the fuck wouldn't they apply it to the smaller banks? Mm. That is really fucking scary that they can just crank down a crush on our uh, financial sector purely to make sure that fossil fuel industries are supported for maybe another five years. I, I, fi- I find it difficult thinking how- they could possibly do it. Like I know um, Frydenberg has been trying to get that precedent in place, but it's a really difficult thing to pull off and, you know, to to ensure that people don't have that choice. Like they want the free market just for them, but not for everyone else. I honestly think it is an empty threat, but the fact that he's able to threaten that emptily without some kind of blowback is is pretty crazy. Yeah. Like- yeah. This, this, that's how politics work, is that it's not just about making- like it's, It doesn't matter that it's a hollow threat. It's the fact that they're willing yeah. to say it out loud means that something has changed. It means that norms have been eroded. And this is the thing. This is what McLean talks about, is that when there is corruption in the government that goes unpunished, it's not just a word. Things corrupt. Things degrade. And when norms in, in institutions and trust in institutions is degraded in such a way, then you can start saying this thing. And like, so look, you're saying right now- you reckon it's a hollow threat i do as well give it two years of that language permeating the culture it won't be a hollow threat oh no absolutely not um and it also it's supported by the fact that the labor party is buying straight into it as well (laughs) yes let's do it fitzgibbon joel fitzgibbon (laughs) fucking he's he's more like a a forward base of the liberal party. <laughs> I do like someone in the notes here has a Joel Fitzgibbon, the Labor Minister for the Liberals. <laughs> I think this is I think this is a little bit unfair to call Joel Fitzgibbon the Labor Minister for the Liberals because it implies that the Labor is otherwise <laughs> and, like, pro-climate action, which is not true. Fitzgibbon is the Resources Minister for the Labor. He's yeah. the Labor Minister for Labor yeah. and he's a climate denier and that's who they've put in as their Resources Minister. Just say, like, oh, he's just the Liberals' light. Like, no, that's what Labor is then. Yeah. And so what Joel Fitzgibbon has said is it's obviously a bit of a pitch to shareholder activism. And I absolutely appreciate banks have to measure and bank risk. I just hope that's what they're talking about here and not some form of virtue signaling. Like, what? They're using the same fucking talking points. Fuck! He's like, now, I don't want to seem like I'm on the same team as the Liberal government, but they make a pretty good point. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I want to kiss him and I love him heaps. I, I, I can't stress this enough. I don't want to seem like I'm on the same team as the Liberals. I'm on the Labor team and Labor agrees. <laughs> That's the important distinction there. Also, and, 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 and you know, we are a comedy podcast, satire, please don't sue us. But also, Joel Fitzgibbon, you can't, has forced the Labor Party to come out and make an official statement saying that Labor's stance is now pro-gas. Hmm. We need to give some context to this, though, because this has come directly after Joel Fitzgibbon chucked a huge tanty about um, the caucus not supporting his gas subsidies. Imagine. He, he's, back, you know, he's backing new gas pipelines with tax, taxpayer support, and his policy is specifically a gas-led future, just the same as the Liberals, and the caucus doesn't agree with it. Um, and so there was a huge fight where he threatened to leave the Labor Party and now everyone's falling in line, including Albo and Jed Kearney. So Jed Kearney, the reason why we bring her up is she's our local member. She's she's an hey. estate. She, she is who we can vote for if we choose to vote Labor after falling from a great height or some other tragedy. <laughs> and she tweeted out, <laughs> she just tweeted it out. It is the Labor Party position that renewables are the future. They are cleaner and cheaper and provide good jobs. Labor will build Australia as a renewable superpower starting with a $20 billion investment in rewiring the nation. Gas will be transition fuel as necessary, Ospop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that tweet reads like? It's like Just- when you when you advertise like medications and stuff on TV and oh, yeah. there's like the quick little text that they <laughs> yeah. read at the bottom that's like in full speeded up voice with the side effects. <laughs> The, the vibe that I get from that message is like a very sort of like protesting teenager about a messy room sort of thing. <laughs> like just it's, it's the renewables of the future. I'm, I'll get around to it. Yes, I know. It's cleaner. It's cheaper. They'll provide good jobs. Labor will build Australia as a renewable superpower. So <laughs> $20 billion investment in rewind in the nation. Gas will be a transition. Fuel is necessary. What do you want? <laughs> Labor's pro fossil fuels. Labor's pro climate action. Come on. We're still transitioning. <laughs> As you can see, Labor working from inside has definitely worked for our electorate. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So, the reason why I want to bring up Jed fucking Kearney is that yeah. McLean and I, on four separate occasions, first off, we were in a um, Skype like public forum where she said this. She called me the next day and told me this privately in a conversation I had with her. There was a second public forum where she said what I'm about to say and then she called McLean and had a conversation with her and said the same thing again. Jed has been saying for fucking months now that Joel Fitzgibbon is a laughing stock of the Labor caucus, that no one takes him seriously, that he holds no real power and guess fucking what, Jed? He single-handedly made you all eat shit nationally. Absolutely fucking disgusting work from everyone in Labor who refuses to either shut him the fuck up or walk away from a hollow, empty party that cannot commit to anything other than just parroting what the Liberal Party do, but without any fucking conviction. Yeah, this is like, I'm like, Jet, I, I, I believe you when you tell me that you are sincere about climate action, but it really seems like appointing a climate denier as the resources minister for your party sends a different signal to that. And she's like, oh, you know, re- massive air quotes, oh, the resources minister. It's just a resources minister. Yeah. It's just, it's, 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 just it's a figurehead it. position. It, it has no actual power. Gas will be a transition fuel. Mm. Like, fuck you. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Throw up. I'm, I'm fuck committed off. to safe driving. 
but my five-year-old will just be getting us down the highway until we we make that change. As necessary. The five-year-old will drive as necessary. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Just just to cap off yet again, my favorite punching bag, Anthony Albanese, had the gall or maybe it was maybe it was his speechwriter had like a um well like a scheduled tweet that just had to go out and they forgot to delete it. But the day after <laughs> all of this, Anthony Albanese tweeted out the Morrison government hasn't always listened to the experts on bushfires. That must change today. Summer is almost here. Bushfire seasons are getting longer and more intense. Now isn't the time for half measures. Gas will be a transition fuel as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Half measures should be the motto of the Labour Party, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I-, I love how when he um, made that announcement, everyone's just replying back with like, Links to articles about the Fitzgibbon stuff saying this you. Like- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the general takeaway that I have from all of this stuff, from, from the ANZ thing, from all of the absolute hypocrisy of both parties saying one thing and doing another, none of it makes any sense unless you take it from the point of view of their number one objective is just to promote fossil fuels, to keep fossil fuels happening. Everything else yep. doesn't matter. The free market doesn't yep. matter. Australians don't matter. The politics don't matter. The parties don't matter. Human None life of it, doesn't matter. Human life doesn't matter. Climate yeah. change doesn't matter. They don't give a shit about anything. Even the stuff they say they give a shit about, like farmers and the free market and all of that and moral compasses and virtue signaling. They don't give a shit about any of it. They just want fossil fuels. And when you start to see it, from that perspective, everything they do makes perfect sense. All of the stuff where you're like, are they dumb? No, they're not dumb. They just want fossil fuels and they're doing everything in their power to keep fossil fuels happening. Yeah. And I, I want to just like hammer that very slightly more where we talk about like, ah, ha, 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 you know, like Albo did this tweet and he just got roasted in the replies by people pointing out how he's, he's a hypocrite about this. Yeah, that's you've just got to acknowledge that getting a little bit publicly roasted is a really, really cheap, price to pay for promoting fossil fuels, which they do. Mm. They're just like, oh, look, I'll tweet this, which promotes fossil fuels a little bit. I'll get a little bit roasted. I'll take a little bit of reputational damage from some people online. Sure. Yeah, I'll pay that ticket. Easy. 100% of the time. I'll do it tomorrow as well. Because yeah. he fucking does every single time. Like, the the idea that somebody copying some accusations of hypocrisy or, you know, having some podcasts to say fuck you, like... <laughs> This is a cost that they acknowledge ahead of time and then do it and then cop that. That's not like, oh, I didn't realize that people would send links to me. Mm. I didn't realize. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> like, it, it, it's like, you know, we'll take one step forward with the promoting fossil fuels. We'll take 0.00001 step backward with, like, getting mildly roasted. And then, you know, cool. We made a massive fossil fuel profit. But McLean, McLean, if I put a water drop on my name and I go hashtag Ozpol and say, Albo, what happened? That, then you'll really listen to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, if you're listening to this, you're and if you're in Melbourne you'll know that Melbourne has just come out of our big lockdown. Yay. Everyone just like listening to this podcast by putting their phone in the circle of all their friends <laughs> in real life in a park and just <laughs> playing it publicly. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> Nature is healing. It, it's been a lovely few days um, since, the last, uh, since Wednesday, which is when the lockdown was officially over. Uh, we're still social distancing. There's still limitations in place. There's still uh, measures to make sure. Yes, you still got to wear a mask. You still got to keep your distance. Wait, what? 
Lang. I've been open mouth kissing strangers. <laughs> yeah, with a mask You've on. just been raw dogging the outdoors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been lovely to see, you know, just a, a, a cheer in people's eye and, you know, everyone just feeling a bit happier. <laughs> cheer in people's eye and a smile on their face. Probably. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but there's the overwhelming sort of feeling that maybe this time, maybe we might have finally done it. And then, <laughs> then this week. Because <laughs> we've got the backing of governments and businesses and we're all in this together. Yeah, it, we finally locked down all the, all the contact tracing. We locked down all the, the, you know, the contractors that were doing funny stuff that inevitably spread COVID. We finally fixed it. And then this week we found out that a cleaning company called TransClean was paid $1.2 million to clean Melbourne's trains during the pandemic, and then they just didn't. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't at all. Didn't do it. But they were paid money to do it. Yep. And they just took the money and they gave it to the people that run the train lines. So these allegations were heard um, this week by an independent broad-based anti-corruption commission inquiry into alleged serious corruption inside Melbourne's railways. So this is actually a completely unrelated inquiry that has happened at IBAC that has revealed that there wasn't very necessary and required cleaning of Melbourne's transport during a pandemic. Oh, my God. And this is... (laughs) This is terrifying because, yet again, this is part of the whole problem with privatisation is that the metro and regional train lines in Melbourne have a horrible mix of private and public sector workers and they're going more private all the time like everywhere else in the country, blah, blah, blah. And they've also been split, so metro and regional are different, but then they get paid by the government. But uh, what we've been seeing through this pandemic is holy shit the private sector has entirely let us down and we really need to we need to find a way to trust that when we're being told by the government and we're being told by private industry that things are safe that they are working in our best interests and what ended up happening was transclean were paid money to clean trains specifically to get rid of covid they were supposed to be deep cleaning and they didn't do it and they knew they weren't doing it, and they admitted on fucking taped phone calls that they were just covering up the fact that they weren't doing it, and the heads of the Metro and Regional Train Services, a Peter Bolas and a James Pinder, were pocketing money from TransClean personally. Pinder himself was, like, pocketing monthly payments from the cleaning company, along with $320,000 in funds, which he then spent on his own $2.5 million home. Wait, 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 wait. So, so just so I, f- I fully understand this, because I'm still a little confused. So, mm-hmm. the the cleaning company was paying money to the train company. No, other way so, around. So, the government paid the cleaning company to yeah. clean the trains, right? And the cleaning company, instead of cleaning the trains, paid the train company right. to say that they to did. get away with it. Okay. And the train company was like, "Cool, we've got your back. We'll tell the government you did it." Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's And it's just, and this is the thing, so I think Isaac put this in the chat through the week at some point, but it's just like, I just want a little bit of subtlety with my corruption. Like, just <laughs> as a, just, just please just respect me. Please respect me as a human. Some of the transcripts that have come out from this um, IBCAC, um, uh, like, hearing Ib- is- IBCAC. IBAC? IBAC. 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 
Who gives a fuck? Um, <laughs> the things that have come out this from this hearing- This is the podcast hearing, that gets the acronyms right, Mitch. Come on. Absolutely. It absolutely is not. Um, I keep, we don't I, even get words right. I, I keep calling us NEG and we're not. Earlier. We're not good enough and I'm NEGing it all the time. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so, this is- I, let's, let's see how this goes. But this is a transcript of things that were said on taped phone calls- between the heads of the train services and the heads of the cleaning companies. Uh, McLean, could you be uh, Mr. Haritos? All right. The head of TransClean. And uh, Lang, Lang, could you be uh, Mr. Bolas? All right. Yeah, it's, in the, it's just in the notes here. Just got it highlighted on and, the corruption. And what kind of- what kind of- uh what kind of person am I? What's my motivation here? Um, you want to make <laughs> yourself rich off of a pandemic and you don't care about people dying. Um, right. McLean? Exact oh, same. No, you're brief. the guy who's covering up for me. All I'm right. the one who's. But yeah, both I'm of you. The, yeah. I'm the guy who's paying you to right. say that we did the work, but right. instead we just kept the money. So, okay. Head of TransClean, Mr. Haritos. I, I, I get the point, Peter, but you've got to cover off. You've got, you got, you got to cover up for us as well. Are you fucking taking the piss out of me? I've got to cover up what you think I do every day, George. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> that is a transcript. <laughs> That's not made up. I'm out here doing crimes. so fucking embarrassing for them. I'm risking the lives of people every day for (laughs) dirty money that you give me for not doing your job. I'm extrapolating here. He didn't say that. It's just really important to me, Mr. Bolas, that I don't clean the trains and keep the money instead. (laughs) I've got to spend this money on on my renovation, you know? I mean, the bloody... The government's home builder, the grants aren't going out yet. No, I've got some countertops that need to be replaced. I tell you what, this is not easy. You're no son of mine. Uh, so anyway, they were uh, fired, which was kind of weird. Um, I, I liked that the people involved in this were actually very quickly fired and stepped down from their positions. Unlike Gladys Berejiklian, who's still the New South Wales Premier for some fucking reason. But there we go. <laughs> Who we still haven't covered and we still won't. Pretty good. Mr. Bolas and Mr. Pinder, you just didn't get yourselves high enough the chain to save yourselves, did you? You fucking losers. Are they, did they go to prison? Nah, probably not. Sounds like they saved themselves. <laughs> Actions this week. Um, so, if you're not aware of the Jabberong trees, they're sacred uh, Aboriginal cultural sites in Western Victoria, just near a highway. Daniel Andrews and the Victorian government and the Vic Roads are trying to build another highway through those trees. Uh, there's lots of room to build highways, but they want to build it there. And they've cut down a couple of them already. They want to cut down more. There's been a huge uproar. We've managed to get is it a two-week pause while they figure out whether or not pause, they should yeah. destroy this sacred site? And look, the absolute least that we can do is call them up and give them a piece of our mind. Uh, all it takes is five minutes, leave a message on some answering machines and say, hey, what are you doing? This is not good enough. Don't cut down those trees. <laughs> yeah, give the podcast a plug. Yeah. Or, I mean, like, just uh, when you say this is not good enough, obviously that's what we say when we call. Oh, don't but, say you know, this. You is- say the name of your own podcast <laughs> when you call. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, I think there is good reason this time to be calling all of the people. We will put the lists in the show notes, but there's like Daniel Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, Planning Minister Richard Wynne, Transport Minister Jacinta Allen, even the Federal Energy Minister Susan Lay, she's involved in this as well. I think that there is just enough outcry that we could potentially 
push this over the line mm. and making it another Duke and Gorge situation. Yeah. If you also just tweet at journalists, especially the journalists that are continuing to go to the Victorian um, press conferences about COVID, they finally started asking him about that and they kept pushing him because mm. it, be- it became very a story. embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is something that, like, never forget- that politicians really, really, really want to keep getting voted for and keep their jobs. And so, if enough people do call up and put pressure on them for an issue, they will at least respond to the issue in kind and we can we can apply pressure in this instance. So, it's a good thing to call them up. Shame is a very powerful force here. Mm. Yeah. There's already been so much pressure here that they have paused cutting these trees down. And so, that's already a small win. We've got to keep that pressure up so that they stop doing it entirely because they have other options. There's always somewhere else to put a highway. Yeah. yeah when the first of the trees got cut down, the directions tree, that, that was happening in a big rush. This was on the day oh, yeah. that the lockdown was uh, removed. And it was just like this wild thing where it just like happened in this massive hustle. And there was like big pushes to like they shut down a highway to prevent protesters getting in and, and that sort of thing. So they were using the COVID fines. To stop protesters, that was the last day they were able to use those five thousand dollar fines, and they went, "Well, this is not safe for COVID." It's so yeah. breathtakingly cynical. Yeah, just despicable. So the fact that they paused that at all is is really astonishing. They must have actually copped a ton of heat. Mm. Um, so that those those protests, even though it's only a, a three week pause, and clearly they're just going to start them up with just the same amount of enthusiasm in three weeks, hoping that the the attention has died off a little bit. But clearly, those phone calls and protests actually did something, which yeah. is astonishing. So, if you want some more background information on this as well, um, give a listen to uh, either 7am, a really good podcast, or our mates at Ozpol Snack Pod. Both of those podcasts have had Green Senator Lydia Thorpe on, uh, talking about the Jabberong trees and Indigenous uh, issues in general. Um, both really good podcasts, both going to be giving uh, slightly different uh, stylistic interpretations of how to deliver the information. But And she is a, she's a, a Jabberong woman, so yes. she's coming from- She's not only a Jabberong woman, she, she's not only a Jabberong woman, she was on site at the um, birthing trees facing down uh, uh, the security and the cops that were there. She's fucking amazing. Lydia, yeah. Lydia Thorpe is fucking incredible. The, the, the one Australian politician who uh-huh. we're allowed to keep- As a couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, another action, and this one's even easier. Uh, calling up Daniel Andrews and co might take you 10 minutes. Change your bank account. Uh, I actually helped my partner do that yesterday. It takes five minutes. Do it online. Um, it, there are, I, I'm not going to tell you which banks to choose, but I think Market Forces is a pretty good uh, site. But there are a couple of banks that are just like, we don't lend to fossil fuels. We don't get involved in fossil fuels. Banks want your business. All you have to do, set up an account. You don't even have to move everything over. I was just do about to say. Do that later. Yeah, just set up the account. That yep. is the easy step. Big, big, big thing for me, which because this was a hassle for me because I did it wrong. And what I learned was just go to a bank that you like the look of and set up an account and then very slowly transition everything over. Yeah. Keep your other one open. But this isn't actually about like- clo- it, Eventually, you want to close down the ANZ or the NAB bank account super, super quick. But- mm. It can be a bit stressful. Just go to a good bank, open an account, and then you can start to move things over. And But that's the first main step. And once you do that, things fall into place and it becomes a lot easier. I mean, I did this a couple of years ago. Um, I set up a, a new account with a new bank, but I still have my old Commonwealth bank account for like the last couple of, you know, little bits of bills or whatever. I just don't keep any money in there or yeah, like hardly zero. Any <laughs> and that means that they don't have my money. They can't lend it to fossil fuel companies. And also- 
oh, they've got to spend all that paperwork on keeping that empty bank account open day after day after day. Yeah, it's real hassle. <laughs> it's really draining them dry. Actions this week. Go to hell, o- Open dummy accounts. <laughs> yeah, open an empty account with NAV, open an empty account with ANZ. Give them $5. Keep calling up their customer service account being like, why is there no money in my account? No, don't. don't I don't understand. I, I honestly reckon there is definitely a number of ways that banks can profit off of having X amount of accounts open, so don't I do mean, that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't You're do that. an accounting fees for what? <laughs> yeah. Don't. Only open fee-free accounts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. If you would like to leave us a review, we'd really appreciate that. You can find us on all of the different podcast apps and you should rate and review us on all of them. And if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email, notgoodpod at protonmail.com or any uh, of your favourite social medias at notgoodpod. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their oldest past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.